Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's word. James chapter 4, verse 13. James says this, and God is saying this to you and me. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage and the ones that we're going to read to follow. It is your word. We ask and pray through your spirit that you would tell us what you want us to know from it today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is entitled, Does God Have a Path for My Life? Does God Have a Path for My Life? Each time I lead a group to Israel every other year, one of the places that I like to see, one of my favorite places because I have memories there, is while we're out on the Sea of Galilee. And for all of my groups, you, you've heard this story, and I probably have shared this story with all of you, I don't know, after 25 years. I don't have a lot of stories I haven't shared. But I really like the Sea of Galilee because as you're on the Sea of Galilee, we go from Tiberias up toward uh, Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there on the, on the left, on the west, is a mountain range called Mount Arbel. And I was there in 1987 as a young man and climbed Mount Ar Arbel. Here's a picture of it. I climbed that mountain. Now on this side over here, it's very steep. And by the way, I climbed the mountain because I was in college. And when you're in college, that's what you do. You just climb things. We just looked up and he goes, hey, we, we, one of the guys said, let's climb that. And uh, several of the guys chimed in on the bus and, and they said, yeah, I'll go with you. And, and I, I, you know, in a, in a moment of weakness, I said, okay, I'll go too. And then we jumped off the bus and climbed the mountain. And we actually went up there on the right side where it's so steep, but there is a path up onto the mountain. So while it was steep, it was a clear path for us to follow. We knew how to get to the top and got to the top. And I know I've shared this before. It, the problem started when we decided to, to leave because uh, looking at the mountain, uh, the, the, the face is this way and Tiberius is directly that way. And we thought, well, we don't wanna go down on this side. That's away from town. We'll just keep going. It's only five miles or so. And <laughs> we'll just keep going on top of the mountain and come down off the mountain uh, toward uh, Tiberius. And uh, so uh, we did that, and the problem was there was no path on that side. So we just made our own path, which you should never do on a mountain in a foreign country. So uh, the weeds got worse. It was in the middle of July. It was only about 105, maybe 110 uh, when we did this, and the weeds were this high. They were all dead because it was the middle of summer. Like Texas, everything dies in the summer. And the weeds had these, literally these sticker burrs on them this big. They were Texas size. And as we walked through them for a few hours, it scratched us and scratched us. And by the time we finally got back, we were bloody from head to toe. And so a little lesson there, follow the path. <laughs> Does God have a path for my life? That's the subject for today. And it's not just important to know the path. You have to be on the path. 
But I want to address this idea that many people have or the question that people have, does God have a path? And is that path a general path? Because there are verses that very clearly say this is the path for everybody. God created you this way to take this path. But are there specific passages that refer to an individual path? Does God have a place for you to go and something for you to do in your life in particular? So let me back up a little bit and say, number one today, God does have a will for your life. God does have a will for your life. The first step in his plan for you, I happen to know that. I happen to know that step. I don't know every step, but I know this step. God's first plan for us is to come to faith in Christ. In Galatians chapter one, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. In verse three, he says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the, this present evil age according to the, here's the word, the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Who gave himself up for our sins, a reference to Christ, in order to rescue us from this evil age according to the will of our God and Father. God's will for you in life is to accept Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus. Again, there's salvation in accordance with his pleasure and will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, again in Ephesians, Paul says, in him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. First John chapter 2, verse 17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The lives forever comes from salvation in Jesus Christ. And so he says, a time and time and time again, God has a path, he has a purpose, he has a will for you in your life. First and foremost, that is to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't skip that plan. You can't go around that path. There's no other path. There's no loophole. I have nothing to say to you this morning in terms of God's will in your life if you will not first take that step. Because every step after that is contingent upon this step. For the world is going down a path, billions of people, billions of paths, all kinds of plans and, and visions and, and directions that they take. But apart from Christ, it doesn't amount to anything because it leads to death. The first step that God has for you in his wheel is to accept Christ. But I've got good news for you this morning in addition to that, and that's good enough, but good news for you, if you've already accepted Christ, God does have a specific plan for your life. This is where you're going to have to discern what this plan is. <clears throat> In Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 1, this is his introduction of his letter. Paul it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now he goes on to talk to them, but I, I find that to be a powerful and intentional introduction. He's introducing himself. Now, he knows most of the people in Ephesus. He's the one who converted them. But there are people in that church, no doubt, that he does not know as the church has grown and moved along since he, he uh, spent some time in jail and he's writing this letter. 
as an introduction, he says, I want you to know, my name's Paul, by the way. I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Not just a convert of Christ Jesus. He was an apostle. It would be enough that he was converted. And so Paul is sharing a, a, a bit of God's direction, his providence in his life, his path. I am an apostle, called to be an apostle. In Romans chapter 8, verse 27, <clears throat> writing to the church in Rome, he says it this way. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in, according to, in accordance to God's will. Now, there, the word will, I've highlighted there, but there's another word you want to look at. It's the first word in the bottom line. It's the word saints. He's talking to the saints. Now, saints aren't lost people. They're saved people. You, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, surrendered to his lordship, you believe in the resurrection of Christ, you are a saint. Whether you, and I always say this, whether you act like a saint or not, I can't say, but you are a saint. Whether you think like a saint or you talk like a saint, or a sailor, you are a saint if you have given your life to Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about people who have already taken that first step, who have already been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They are the saints. And so he says here, the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to God's will. That means the Holy Spirit will intercede for you in accordance to God's will. So as we seek out our faith from day to day, try to follow what God wants us to do from his word, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment, in accordance to God's will, the Holy Spirit intercedes. What does that mean? Well, he's interceding on our behalf to God the Father. I also think there's an intercession that takes place as I'm going in this direction and I'm, and I'm praying and seeking God, do you, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? That the Holy Spirit will go, no, you need to stop going that way. You need to go over here. <laughs> you need to do that. There's an intercession there. And so I think that the Holy Spirit leads and guides his people specifically about where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do in our, our life. And then that leads us to the second point today, and that is God wants us to know his will. You'll never pray to God and say, God, do you want me to know? I can't seem to figure it out. I, I seem to be lost. It, it almost seems like you're disconnected or you don't want me to know or you want me to go around blindly. No, God doesn't want you to go around blindly. He wants you to know his will. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says it this way, back in Ephesians again. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so he talks about two paths in life, the foolish path and the wise path. He doesn't use the word wise, but that's the opposite of foolish. Don't be foolish, but understand what the, what the will of God is. That is, those who go through life, they don't know what God wants for them. They don't care what God wants for them. They don't seek what God wants for them. That's a foolish path. But there is another path where we discern what the will of God is. He wants us to know his will. Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Ephesians 1.9 says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. It's a mystery to everybody else, but not to be to God's people. Now that brings us to our passage for today. This is an interesting passage. This is James speaking, and we'll talk about James in just a moment. 
This is one of the more misunderstood, misquoted, and controversial passages in all the Bible. It shouldn't be because mis, uh, uh, shouldn't be controversial, but because people misinterpret it, it is. Listen to what he says. <clears throat> now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will, no, I'm sorry, that's not the controversial one. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but this is important. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there or carry on business and make money. Amen? <laughs> Don't say amen. <laughs> Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, he makes a point to say, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know. We make big plans. You make plans. I make plans. And God is not saying that we can't make plans. But if we're going about our life according to our plans, then we're probably going to fail because it may be all over by tomorrow morning. By the way, God is not... <laughs> How can I say this in a loving way? God is not interested in your plans. He's interested in his plans through you. Your plans and my plans aren't particularly good plans. I have been stopped by God so many times in my life because I had this brilliant plan that was going to lead to nothing or worse. We have all the plans in the world, and this is the plans he's talking about. Ooh, people make big plans. And God is in heaven, in his providence, moving forward, and he says, you're wasting your time. You don't even know. And then he gives this illustration about our life. He says, you know, your life is like a mist. In, in Texas, we call that a dew. There's dew in the morning. You know, there's this cloud bank. If we go into a low place in Texas in early in the morning, sometimes there, there's a fog bank. And in this fog, we can't see. And then as soon as we come up out of that low place where the creek is, the, the fog goes away. That's what he's talking about. And then in Texas, when the sun comes out, it doesn't take long to burn that all off. On those rare days where it's just foggy everywhere, I know that the sun is up there beating down on it and it's not going to take long for it's going to be gone. You go into the coffee shop, you can't see anything. By the time you come out from breakfast, it's all gone. And James says, that's how we are. Excuse me, Paul said, uh, no, James, excuse me. James says, that's how we are in life. Now, listen closely. God is not talking about that you're no more important than fog. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about importance here. He's talking about the longevity of our life. And we are going about making big plans as though we're just going to live and live and live and everything's going to be fine. And God says, you don't know that. You don't even know there's going to be a tomorrow. And so be considering that. Now, having said that, James was the half-brother of Jesus. We say half-brother because the father of Jesus was the Holy Spirit. Not, not the case with James. He was a great guy. Interestingly, James was not a believer in Jesus initially. He didn't believe because he's his brother. What are the odds that your brother's going to be the Messiah? I, I, to be fair to James, it's pretty slim. <laughs> and I don't know if you've got a little brother complex, but uh, my goodness, you know, uh, your brother's the Messiah. What, what is there for you? 
Uh, you know, you talk about the favorite son, my goodness, there's no way he can, can, he, he can grow up without complex knowing that his brother is perfect. So, uh, so at some point, and probably it was at the resurrection when Jesus came back to life, he probably appeared to his family, appeared to James. We don't have specific biblical passages, but James changed his mind very clearly and radically he was saved and became a Christian and a leader in the early church. And so much so that he was martyred for his faith. He was stoned to death in 62 AD. That's James. So James understands. He's writing from some perspective as the half-brother of Jesus and somebody who would give his life for Christ. You don't even know. Instead, he says, if it's the Lord's will, say this, if it's the Lord's will, he says, we'll live and do this or do that. Because we're not going to overrule God's will. And I'll be honest with you, there are times when I don't like God's will. You don't like God's will either. Because I got my will. I like my will. My will be done. And you, <laughs> yeah, amen. So what we do is we do our will and we gussy it up by putting God's rubber stamp on it. This is what God wants me to do. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, it's not. You're just making that up. We'll get to that in just a minute. <laughs> Number three, accomplishing God's will is our greatest priority is our greatest priority. Now, this is the controversial passage. There's no way around it. It, 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 is, it is difficult to read if you don't understand what he's saying. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6, 5. Listen closely to what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Now, the reason this is controversial, people will take this out of context, and they'll say, aha, look, Christianity is pro-slavery. No, no, that's not what he's saying here. He's talking to slaves and what we want it to say is this, something like this. This is the Lisi version. Slaves, rebel against your masters. Demand your freedom because you are as valuable to God as your masters are. And that is true. They are. Every slave in history was just as valuable to God, created by God, loved by God as much as any master. Now, we get confused, and we have these social norms that this person is important, this person isn't important. Inside of slavery or outside of slavery, we still do that today. A Hollywood star walks by, and ah, everybody's following to, to, to get near them, just to touch them. You know, who's the singer that made the video lately? What's her name? She became a billionaire? Taylor Swift, yes. I, I don't keep up a lot, sorry. Taylor Swift and people, they, they can just get near her and touch her. For what? COVID? What, what are they going to get from her? <laughs> but that's the way our, our world thinks. And so we place people above people always. It's, it's that old nature in humanity. 
And we want Paul to, to say about this, you demand your freedom. Why did he say that? Well, you have to understand what Paul is saying. At no point does he endorse slavery, ever. But what he is saying to slaves is there is as important it is. By the way, the Bible is the most transformative, equalizing uh, 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 literature in history. Nothing like it. There is no more slave or free, Jew or Gentile, the Bible says. We are made equal at the foot of the cross. Just to be clear, they don't ever quote that passage, by the way. Here's what he's saying. Slaves, I know you may have a hard master and you may have a hard life, but listen, you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And God desires to use you to win your master to faith in Jesus Christ. And you be such an amazing slave, or in our case, an amazing employee, that that lost pagan boss of yours came, comes to faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more powerful than seeing somebody's life transformed, especially when it's an awful boss. Because <laughs> your boss may be the meanest person you've ever met, or that school teacher in class may be the meanest person you've ever met, but they cannot resist the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It will crumble them very quickly. And so Paul says, listen, you've, you've got within you a message that is more powerful and more important than anything else in the world. What is important in your life? Your job, your career, your education, your family, your hobbies, or your habits. What, whatever is priority in your life, Listen, there is nothing, Jesus would say this, there is nothing in your life more important than the revelation that Jesus died for you and desires to redeem you. That is the most important thing, has to be the most important thing, and that's what he's trying to share here. The great theologian George Truett said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. Those slaves could have made themselves free. They could have run away and maybe gained freedom all of their life, but then they would have died in their sins. What good would it be? God wants to free you, not from just mere human slavery, but from the slavery of sin. Third, fourth, how do we discover God's will? And I'll close with this today. How do we do that? You may be sitting there thinking, okay, all right, okay, okay. God's got a plan. He's got a path for me. How do I get on the path? Well, I'll give you a hint, or David does 3,000 years ago. In Psalm 23, I always have to say this, he leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That literally means that word righteousness in Hebrew is the same as today, it basically means right paths. God is my shepherd. For us, Christ is our shepherd, and he leads us down right paths. That's what good shepherds do, lead us down the right path. And so how do I, how do I discover God's path? How do I discover the right path when I'm struggling with this direction in my life? Well, let me say there are some wrong ways to discover God's will in your life. And this is tragic this is important because you can go down the wrong path convincing yourself that it is the right path for all the craziest reasons in the world. 
I saw this article. I actually typed in people who uh, mistook God's path or God's plan or God's will. So I came across this article and it says this. Neighbors of the Laneys in New Chapel Hill, Texas, thought that the family of five was stable and loving. Deanna and her husband had three boys, Joshua 8, Luke 6, and an infant, Aaron, who was 14 months old in May of 2003. One night, while her husband was asleep, Deanna smashed the heads of the two oldest boys with a rock, killing them both. Then she calmly rang 911 to tell the authorities what she had done. When police arrived, they found Aaron, the baby, severely injured in his crib. Deanna was uh, uh, not in the house, but she was still talking on her phone. Police found her in some nearby woods, her clothes covered in blood. Apparently, a year before, Deanna had told fellow church members at her church, that God had told her that the world was coming to an end, that God had told her that the world was coming to an end and that she should set her house in order. Her defense for the killings was that God had told her what to do. And let me tell you, that kind of thinking has repeated itself countless millions of times throughout our history. Wars have been fought. Entire nations have been slaughtered, saying it's God's will. Only a few weeks ago, some very bad people, terrorists, broke into some homes and decapitated babies, and they said that was God's will. No, it wasn't. You're an idiot. (laughs) That's, That's what that is. That's stupidity. And let me tell you, you have to be very careful about saying, this is God's will, this is, not, this is not God's will, I know God's will. You have to be very careful about that. Because a lot of times we just do what we want and we call it God's will. John Wesley, the theologian, said, Do not hastily ascribe things to God. Do not easily suppose dreams, voices, impressions, visions, or revelations to be from God. They may be from Him. They may be from nature. They may be from the devil. So how do you tell? Well, first of all, I would say to that woman and those terrorists, if you think that God is leading you to do anything that's contrary to Scripture, God isn't telling you to do that. God is the God of life, not the God of death. He's not telling you to slaughter people. So you have to give that litmus test to everything and discern what is God's will in your life. The genuine will of God is always the opposite of evil. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says this. Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the, here's the word, the will of God. So the will of God is opposite of evil in our life and in this world. So how do we discover the will of God in our life? I'm going to give you two things. Now, obviously, through Scripture. God gave you the Bible, and through reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and through us. So I didn't even write that down. That's clear and obvious. But number one, through transformation. This isn't easy. I know you would like for me to write it out for you or a hand to appear this morning. And right on the back of your Bible, God just gives you his his path for your life. And by the way, God knows. 
He knows every single thing he wants you to do till your last breath in this world. He already knows. Wouldn't it be great if he just would send me an email <laughs> and say, here it is. Okay, all right, I'll just skip ahead. All right, this year, next year, let's see what's going on in five years. Oh, I'm going to die in two weeks. All right, okay. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. And there's a reason for that. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says that this way, great passage, famous verse, do not, be, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That takes a while, by the way. Then, he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as God is transforming you, and you're in that place of being transformed, first, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, spending time every day in prayer. Third, as you go through life and you're asking for God's will in your life, he will give you that as you're transformed more and more and more, you will be able to determine what God's will is. And if you're sitting out there thinking, I have no idea, I prayed this week, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, allow the transforming spirit of God to change you slowly and surely he will guide you and give you the path. I would greatly prefer to have the complete road map of my life all at once, but that simply is not how he works. And so I, I told you, number one was through transformation. Secondly is through prayer, prayer. Colossians chapter one, verse nine says this. Paul says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of, here's the word, the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, I have been praying for you and praying for you and praying for you that God will reveal his will to you. Paul understood the will of God because he spent a good deal of time in prayer. And if all we do is say, God is good, God is great, let, him, let us thank him for this food, amen, and we don't get past that level of prayer, it's going to be difficult for you to discern what God wants for you or for me as well. It applies to all of us. One day, Dwight Morrow and his wife, the parents of Annie Lindbergh, were in Rugby, England, after wandering through the streets, they realized that they had lost their way. They had no idea where they were, and this was back before maps. They had no map to show them, and they were lost in England, or probably London. So at this moment, an incident occurred and entered into Morrow's philosophy and became a guiding principle in his life. And it's funny how God does that. You're going through the day, and you don't realize you're about to learn something you will never forget. Because they were lost, he stopped a little boy about 12 years old and he said, could you tell us the way to the station? Well, the boy answered, you turn to the right there by the grocer's shop and then after you take the right there, you take the second street to the left and that will bring you to a place where four streets come together. And then, sir, you had better inquire again. In other words, he was saying the path from where you are to where you need to be is too complex for you to get it in one swoop. 
You need to take these paths, take these three turns, and that will put you in this place. Once you're at that place, you're on your way, you then need to ask somebody else for the next step of your journey and the next step of your journey where you will finally arrive at the station. And that is exactly what God does in your life and my life. He doesn't give all of it to us because we couldn't handle it. The truth is, if I got the email, I would be so, so shocked and stunned, I wouldn't believe it. So God says, I tell you what I'm going to do. You're going to follow me. You're going to pray and ask and seek my will and read my word. And I will reveal to you one step at a time my path for you. Now, I want to give you this last good news for everybody here. God has a path for you. Now, nobody else may. I don't care if you fluck down to junior high <laughs> or you're a CEO. I don't care how old or young or whatever is going on in your life. God has a path for you. And it's a good path. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this passage or these, these passages and these words from your, from your own heart. Thank you that you have a will for us in our life, that we don't have to wander around lost in the darkness. Thank you. And we thank you that it is not always easy to know that path, that we are required to come to you, to seek your face, to submit ourselves to the path, to be obedient, to listen for your voice. Father, remind us that if we're ever going down a path in life and it is contrary to your word, then it is not your path. And we also acknowledge today that that first step in, in life, that first path on your will is to come to faith in Christ. There's no other path. There's no other way. As Christ said, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the only path to you. If there is one here who has not yet taken that path, Father, as this young man said recently and came to faith in Christ, gave you his heart, may we come to this place this morning. If there's anyone here who has not done that, that they simply say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I messed up in my life and I realize I'm separated from you. And I know the result of that sin is death, eternal separation, and I don't want to do that. But I know that you love me. And so you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross in my place so that that sin can be wiped out and forgiven and I can come back to you. Fulfill my purpose in life of loving you back. And not only in this life, but in the life to come. I accept that mercy. I give you my life. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And I thank him for dying for me. If you'd be willing to make that your prayer today, that your commitment, that commitment today, God can change your life. He can redeem you and put you on the path. Some of you who are believers in Christ, have been believers for a long time, and you're still struggling, trying to discern what does 
God want me to do? Not what do you want to do, but what does God want me to do? He will guide you. Ask and you'll receive. Maybe you want to come down today and just get on your knees and say, God, would you guide me? I've got a decision to make. This opportunity has arisen. What do you want me to do? Or maybe in a relationship that you have and you're struggling. God, which direction do you want me to go? God will guide if you'll ask. No one's looking around. As you're praying, would you stand? All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as everyone stands right now, this invitation, God is giving you an opportunity here and now to seek and to find. Right now, you come. Well, thanks for-